Over this last week, many of you will have read news reports about the Attorney General's report in Pennsylvania, which is the end of an investigation into the crimes of Catholic priests and bishops over the last 70 years in the area of sexual abuse. If you're like me, the reading the report, even parts of it, were heartbreaking and made you ashamed and distressed and angry that priests in our church would behave in such monstrous ways and that their bishops would cover it up. Bishop Gulimoni has written a statement about these events which we sent out in an email to everyone who's on our Lady of the Rosary email list. And there are some hard copies in the narthex as you leave church if you did not receive one. I would like to speak more about this at a future time, but I would just say this evening that when we study the history of the Catholic Church over the last 2,000 years, corruption from within and immorality from within is nothing new. In every age, the Church, in her human aspect, has been attacked by Satan and sinful people have yielded their will and done evil things. And when the church was not attacked with corruption and immorality from within, it was attacked with persecution from without. So it is to be a Catholic. And sadly, when you read the history of the church, very often Satan's tactics are to first weaken the church through immorality and corruption from within, so that he can then attack with persecution from without. So that the church, once weakened, disheartened, dispirited, despondent, and cynical, will not be able to withstand the fires of persecution that come. Therefore, I should say that if you're distressed and upset by the report from Pennsylvania this week, that you might have to brace yourself for worse things to come. There may be more bad news. There may be, if history is to be read properly, a persecution. You say, well, not in America. We have religious freedom here. I already know of Catholic priests who are being spat at and called names in public, which is perhaps understandable. And I don't mean to be paranoid or alarmist, but I do wish to share with you my thoughts and feelings because this is a time of battle and we need warriors, not wimps, to be able to stand up for our faith. So in these troubled times, though, I would remind you of the thing which has kept the church alive and kept the Catholic Church supernaturally alive in the world, and that is actually the subject of our gospel this weekend because you might remember that we are going through five weeks of an intensive look at the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, which is our Lord's teaching about the Holy Eucharist. And in tonight's passage, he says what is perhaps the most shocking thing he's ever said. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have life within you. 
we take this for granted because if you're Catholic and you've been brought up as a Catholic you've heard this kind of language probably from about second grade up when you've been catechized and you've been hearing this talk about eating flesh and drinking blood as part of our Catholic language that's what it means to go to mass and receive communion but what we can't sometimes visualize is how shocking this was to Jesus first hearers and let me put it into context for you in the ancient world the pagan in the pagan religions they very often practiced human sacrifice and not only did they practice human sacrifice but they also very often practiced cannibalism where they would eat the flesh and drink the blood of their human victim they did that because they believed that by doing so they would gather into themselves the energy or the life of that other person but in the Old Testament in Leviticus the Lord forbids this to the Jewish people he says the life of the flesh is in the blood but you shall not drink the blood of the sacrifice and so when Jesus stands up and says to his good Jewish audience you must eat my flesh and drink my blood they're shocked he's a heretic that goes against our religion furthermore it's grotesque it's obscene does is this man going to kill himself and and are we supposed to be cannibals no and the gospel says the Jews quarreled amongst themselves how can this man give us his flesh to eat what does this mean and no doubt some of them said well he's speaking in parables he's being symbolic here uh, he means it in a spiritual sense and Jesus then doubles down and says unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you do not have life within you and Bible scholars tell us that for the word eat he uses a very concrete and literal word for eat which means to gnaw on or to chew and there were other words he could have chosen which are symbolical or can be used in a metaphorical way and so Jesus doubles down and says no no it's not symbolic and then later on it says many people left him because of his teaching and what Jesus did not do is say, oh, hang on, come on back. I only, meant, I only meant it spiritually speaking. I only meant it symbolically. And they left him because of that. And Jesus says later that this food is true food and this drink is true drink. And another way to translate that is to say it is real food and real drink now we're talking about what as Catholics we name the real presence we believe in the real presence of the body and blood soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ in the sacrament of the altar and some of our non-Catholic friends nowadays will say well I believe in the real presence can I come to communion in the Catholic Church I believe in the real presence like you do but the real presence has actually taken on various different meanings for our non-Catholic brothers and sisters so for a Baptist for instance who goes to a communion service and reads the scriptures and they hand around little crackers and little cups of grape juice they would say well the real presence means that at communion I feel closer to Jesus 
Well, that's beautiful, but that's not Catholic teaching. And then the Methodists and some Anglicans and Episcopalians would say, well, we believe in the real presence, and what that means is that as each person comes and receives communion, and they receive the bread and the wine, at that point, it becomes Jesus to them. That's called receptionism. And the Lutherans will say, well, you know, this is really Jesus coming close to us, and he is, his presence is a spiritual presence, uh, kind of behind and with and beside the bread and the wine. And the Presbyterians will say, it is a deep and a beautiful symbol. You see, the Jews were quarreling among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And they all came up with the wrong answer. It's symbolic, it's spiritual, uh, and anything else. But the reality of what Catholics have always believed, that he said, this is my body, and it is his body. And he said, this is my blood, and it is his blood. So let me take a moment to explain how we believe this as Catholics. And this came clear in the 14th century, when in the Middle Ages, the philosophers and theologians in the church were asking the same question, how can this be? And they came up with the doctrine of transubstantiation. And transubstantiation, we have to understand that uh, the philosophers of the time understood the word substance in exactly the opposite way that we understand it. When we say substance, we mean something solid, something real, something we can touch and taste and feel. That's what we mean by substantial or substance. But in the Middle Ages, the philosophers thought that substance meant the invisible, eternal essence of a thing. The eternal essence of a thing which is its eternal reality was its substance. And the best way I can give an illustration of this is to tell you about our downstairs bathroom at home. In our downstairs bathroom at home, we have on the walls lots of family photographs. And there's one photograph in there of me when I'm two years old in my dad's arms. And I've got a curious, bewildered look on my face. And then there's another photograph on the other wall of me, which is my high school graduation photograph. And I'm smiling, and I know nothing, and I have hair. And then there's another photograph of uh, our wedding day, and then another photograph of my ordination. And in each one of these photographs, the physical Dwight is very different. Over all those years, my body has changed. And when I look in the mirror, I realize it's still changing. But also in those pictures, you can see that there's a Dwight who is always the same. And that that Dwight was there at the beginning, in the two-year-old, and the 18-year-old, and the 40-year-old. And that's his substance, his soul, the eternal, invisible part of him. And so we believe that everything has an eternal, invisible aspect. This pulpit, those pews, your own body, 
and also the bread and the wine that is put on the altar. And that as a validly ordained priest consecrates the bread and the wine, God performs a miracle in which that invisible, eternal part of the bread becomes the flesh of our Lord. And the the invisible, eternal part of the wine becomes the blood of Christ. In other words, the part that is real and eternal is the part that that is transformed. And as Catholics, we hold to this truth without compromise. We hold to this truth because it's the center of our faith. And we hold to this truth because also it is this truth which has taken the church through thick and thin. Because the belief of the faithful and the belief of the priests that Jesus is with us. He really is. Not just spiritually, not just symbolically, not just a nice idea. But he's here. He's here in his sacramental presence in the tabernacle. And that's why a Catholic church has a tabernacle and has a red light to indicate the flaming fire of love which is here, always alive and always present, and never goes out except on Good Friday. And that's also why our non-Catholic brothers and sisters do not have a tabernacle and do not have the red sanctuary lamp because they do not believe this finally our Lord says that if we eat this flesh and drink this blood we will live forever and that just doesn't mean that we'll go to heaven one day and live forever it means we have an eternal dimension of life right now right here that we're living life in a new dimension in a new reality because we become one with him and he becomes one with us just as certainly as that bread and that wine becomes part of our body physically because we've eaten it and so I would ask you brothers and sisters to be reminded of these beautiful truths and to realize this is at the heart of our faith and to renew if you can your devotion to the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament here in adoration in your prayers and in your thanksgivings because here you and I come to receive not just some bread and wine, but the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amen.